Welcome to Soft Bites Podcast. Your life, your dentistry. We talk about ways to have more fun and meaning in one of the coolest and most rewarding professions in medicine. Conversations on how to bring awareness, create a healthy workplace, and provide emotional insights to make dentistry a fulfilling activity while making space for one's wonder, creativity, and freedom. Here are your hosts, Banuela and George Andre. Hey. Hello Hi again. Welcome. Welcome to the Soft Bites podcast. Today we have we have a special guest with us. Uh, we have Dr. Kyle Stanley with us. Thank you, uh, Kyle, for, for accepting our invitation and for being here with us. Uh, Dr. Stanley is an advocate of mental health and dentistry, and um, he has, of course, the Light Side, uh, and he, uh, he has a, uh, the Light Side community, uh, and it, he's helped um, many dentists uh, to reduce stress and anxiety uh, with this course and uh, with the support of this community. Uh, he also maintains a private practice where he focuses on implant surgery and prosthetics. And uh, with his company, Pearl, he's uh, changing the way patients are treated through artificial intelligence and he's a leader in this field. So welcome, welcome, Kyle. And we, Thank always, you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we always start these conversations by asking to our guests, uh, why do you choose dentistry in the first place and to tell Tell us a little bit about your your journey in dentistry. Yeah, so I come from a family of dentists. My dad's a dentist. My brother's a dentist. I never thought I wanted to be a dentist growing up. I really wanted to do everything artistic. I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to draw cartoons. And then um, I think in high school, I got really interested in science and in the human body. So I went to college thinking I was going to be a plastic surgeon. And then it was the time that I was starting to decide what I need to do. And my dad said, maybe you should, if you know, if you want to be a surgeon, maybe you should go, go shadow with my friend who's an oral surgeon. So I did that and I really fell in love with oral surgery. I just loved it so much and I thought I was going to be an oral surgeon. Then I went to dental school. I met my first mentor, Pascal Manier, who made me realize that, uh, crap, I, need, I think I need to do aesthetics as well. So then um, I ended up doing kind of both the prosthetic side and the surgical side. So, um, yeah, and then I got, I got involved with speaking and research. I taught at a university for a long time. Um, so I've had my hand in a lot of different areas of dentistry. And I think it gives me a special global comprehensive vision on what's going on in dentistry. Yeah, Kel, I don't know if you remember, but one of the very nice articles that you've been involved was the lip factor. Do you remember if maybe last year I did a video where I tagged you regarding us? Uh, ah, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so, so that, was, that was a big change for dentistry to think that yeah, way, you know? Yeah. It really changed the way that we practice and the, the referral of patients. So I really find it interesting. So, so thank, thank you, you for that. So um, you've been trained in uh, restorative. You've been trained in surgery as well. So how did the mental health topic came up and why is it such a taboo still in dentistry? Actually, not only in dentistry, but why is it still a taboo? And why did you yeah. have the courage to talk about it? Yeah, so my story is that I was... From the outside, I think what 
I had hoped to become. I was who my 18-year-old self wanted to be. I was making good money. I was publishing. I was lecturing at you know, the top podiums around the world. I had a celebrity practice in Beverly Hills. I drove nice cars. I you know, had a beautiful family. But I was miserable. And I wanted to quit dentistry. I couldn't handle all the stress with it. So I actually came home one day and told my wife that I, that I wanted to quit. And she couldn't really understand what I was going through. And it wasn't until I talked to my father and my brother, who were both dentists, that they really had sympathy for me and understood what I was going through. So I was in this real dark time, but still kind of continuing on. And I still had my speaking career. I was speaking about 40 times a year. So I'm traveling around. I had many rooms of doctors that had to listen to me for a certain amount of time. So I would talk about implants or the lip factor or you know facial flow or some other research for like six hours let's say but then i would take like 10 minutes at the end and i would talk about mental health mostly for myself so that i could just talk about it and get it out and i cried every time and what i found was that it was the most important thing i could be talking about i could do implants for eight hours but if i talk for 10 minutes about mental health that's what everyone talked to me about afterwards and said, thank you for, for discussing that I'm going through it, or my wife is going through it, or my, my partner is going through it, or, you know, my, my son or my daughter. And I realized that it was a much bigger problem than, um, I immediately thought it was. So I was looking for a support group for myself and I realized that it didn't exist. And so when I was talking about it, people also started telling me, you know, I would love to be able to talk to other dentists or learn more ways about um, reducing stress in my life and my practice. And so I created it. And really, that was thankful to the pandemic was I had some time. I wasn't lecturing and, you know, treating patients. So I created Lightside because people had been asking me for it. And we do um, an online course. And we also have in-person courses. We also have a support group that meets twice a month that, um, you know, we talk about difficult things. But to answer your other question, your other question was, why do I think it's taboo? You're right. It's taboo, not only in dentistry, but also in the general public. I think talking about depression or talking about anxiety, other people may think that you're weak. And that's what I thought, too. You know, before I went through it, I thought people that were depressed or had anxiety were just weak and couldn't handle it, but I just hadn't gone through it yet. Yeah. And let let me ask you, uh, you may want to answer it or not, but what exactly, you don't have to get into specifics, of course, but what exactly was it that you felt overwhelmed with? Was it the patients? Was it the traveling? Was it the pressure of big podiums? Um, because you, 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 you suddenly, you just, you just started lecture at a really, really high level with the top guys, isn't it? I mean, you're, you were like skyrocketing, isn't it? You went straight yeah, you to know, the, for to me, the... for me, the lecturing is the easy part. Mm-hmm. Lecturing is the relaxed part. Yeah. The difficult part for me are the patients yeah. dealing with patients and dealing with team members. And can you be more so specific? I, that? Yeah. I think one of the biggest difficulties for me was having failures. And, you know, in dentistry, we call them failures. 
but in medicine, they call them revisions. Exactly. And I had put a lot of pressure on myself that, you know, I'm a researcher, I'm a speaker, I, I think of myself as being a good dentist. So how could I have failures? Yeah. Right? What's wrong with me? And then dealing with the patients, you know, they want their money back or they want you to pay for the next surgery or the next crown or whatever it is and dealing with the interpersonal relationships. When you look at the, uh, one of the definitions of burnout is dealing extensively with people that are troubled, with people that are troubled yeah. or having problems. And that's basically the definition of dentistry. Yeah. Every day we're dealing with patients that are troubled or having problems. It's a difficult job because you're, Absolutely. you're dealing, you know, you're, you're inches away from people. You're dealing with a very um, emotional and um, intimate part of their body. It's expensive. It's not cheap. It's time consuming. You know, we measure in tenths of a millimeter. It's, it's just a really difficult job. So for me, the lecturing was the easy part. Totally. Like I'm on a plane, I'm on the podium. That's easy. The hard part for me was the dealing with the people. Yeah. I loved doing the actual physical work. It was just the people that were attached to that work. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much a common theme in in that. Is that there was there was uh, something that I would just like you to get a little bit into, which is you said something very interesting. You said that um, in dentistry we call it failures, and in medicine we call it revisions. So we, over the last year, we've been talking a lot about that, and part of the reason—that's part of the reason why dentistry is so frustrating for dentists—is that it seems like people go to the dentist and they don't, and all of it, they believe that the mouth is something that is much more predictable than the rest of the body, or it's just something like you go to a car mechanic or something like that, isn't it? So, yeah. why do you think that is different, and how do you think that dentists? can change that perception with patients? What should we be doing more in terms of communication? I have yeah, my idea. Great, great question. Great question. So um, I think the, the real reason why it's different is because for some, for some reason, about 100 years, the mouth became a different part, if not part of the body, right? All over the world, right? You know, not only in Europe, in South America, in Australia, in, in the US, dentistry is different. It's usually covered on different insurance programs, Uh, you know, us dentists aren't thought as real doctors. Exactly. I mean, if they if they saw some of the surgeries we did, some of the prosthetics that yeah. we did, but for some reason we're not real doctors. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are not preparing patients accordingly. So this is something that I learned. Early in my career, I was scared to talk to patients about complications and failures because I thought that they wouldn't go through treatment with me. If I told them, you know, I'm placing this implant, it may fail. You may have to pay for it again. And, you know, I can't control all of that. I was scared to talk about that. Once I went through my really dark time and I reevaluated a lot of what I do in my practice, I realized that I was over-promising and under-delivering. And so now, you know, in a lot of my courses, we talk about under-promising and over-delivering basically telling the patient the absolute worst thing that could happen. And I mean, you guys know 95% of the time we're successful. 
Yeah. We get the shade on the first try, the crown fits on the first try, the implant integrates, but it's those four to five percentage points yeah. that keeps us up at night. So what I found was that the more I talked about complications with people and the more I explained the absolute worst that can happen, the more they respected me, which was so interesting. It was like I came down from being a doctor to just being a human and I could really connect with my patients and they referred me more patients. And another thing that happens when you do that is that if the complication happens, they're prepared for it and their tone totally changes. So for example, if I didn't tell the patient the implant may fall out, they call and say, oh my God, Dr. Stanley, I paid so much for this and it fell out and you're such an idiot and you don't know what you're doing. My front office comes to me, they're stressed out, my assistants are stressed out, I'm stressed out. It changes, the same thing happens, but when they call, they say, hey, this is Mrs. Smith, Dr. Stanley had told me there's a chance that this could come loose, it's actually happening, you know, can you get me in? And think of how that changes the day. The entire day is different now, all because of preparing the patients before. And it was my fault for doing that. I definitely was over-promising patients because I wanted to be liked. Exactly, exactly. So, Manuela? Sorry, I was... was, was, uh, really enjoying listening to you it makes uh, a lot of sense um can you tell us uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the light side course how it started how it's how it has evolved how it helps dentists to overcome stress and burnout and how you are creating the yeah, so, community yeah so it started during the pandemic and what we were doing was a seven week online course mm-hmm. where we have recorded videos But then we also have weekly reviews where everybody gets together. We talk about things. We go over the topics. And these can be topics such as, you know, patients telling you they hate you every day or um, neck pain and back pain and uh, feeling like a failure, imposter syndrome. And so we did seven week courses and it was just amazing to see how people were progressing. We had people that were suicidal when they started the course that I didn't know of, and they told me afterwards. And then now are thriving and changing their practice to be more of what they like. Um, It has evolved to where we're now doing an on-demand course, and we're also doing in-person courses. And then we have a monthly um, support group that meets twice a month. And it's really a cool group because I've never seen dentists get together and be so open and honest with each other. We talk about failures. We talk about, you know, getting threatened to be sued. Um, you know, we talk about difficult cases, how to handle it, how to give back money or not give back money or consent forms. And it's just really nice to get people from all over the world. We have people from Belgium, France, and Australia, and Canada, and I don't know where, USA, um, all over the place. And just be honest with, with what's happening. And it's a way to check in with each other. It's a way to both get and give advice. And so it's really been the most rewarding thing that I've done in my entire career. And I've been able to do some pretty interesting things in my career. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
really what what keeps me going in this career for sure. Yeah, I just want to get back to, to, to we were I, I think even Manuela she was she was enjoying because there's you just said in five minutes so much things that we talked during the during the podcast regarding the we want to be like yes. um, uh, we we tend to do we don't we are not seen as doctors and mm -hmm. there, there's I think there's a big there's a big amount of dentists that believe there's nothing that can be done about it. And actually, we yeah. believe it can be. There are small tools, small, small changes in behavior, like the way that you present the treatment plan, how you have it written, uh, inclusively your, your mindset, like you were saying, that the mindset should not that you want to be liked. I mean, the mindset should be that you want to, to be informative, and then the patient decides if they want to do it or not. And that, that That's right. just releases the big burden that you have to sell the treatment plans and stuff. So if you would give me an advice for the young you um, and for the dentists that face most of these troubles, um, can you give like, like three, four or five pieces of advice that could change the mindset of for what you believe that the right mindset of dentistry should be today? Of course, that when we are talking about private dentistry and cosmetic dentistry and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, there's, there's so, many, so many things yeah. that I could say. Um, one thing that I would say is, you know, I travel a lot. Um, yeah. And I always hear them say, if the plane's going down, put your mask on first. Exactly. And that was right. one thing that I wasn't doing. Yeah. I was focusing so much on um, my patients. I was giving everything to my patients and there was nothing left for me. And what I had realized was that I need to take care of myself first so that I can take care of the patients. Yeah. And this goes back to little things like, you know, in light side, we talk about what we say, derms, diet, exercise, relationships, meditation, and sleep. Yeah. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't exercising. Yeah. My relationships were suffering. And once I took care of all that and put myself first, I could really give to others. I was there and rested and feeling good and healthy to where I could do the proper dentistry. Yeah. So that was, that was definitely something. Another tip that I would give is that you don't have to treat every patient. Yeah. <laughs> and this sounds like so silly for me now, but, um, you know, I kind of felt bad about not treating a patient. Mm -hmm. And also I had this urgency to help everybody. I think one thing I had to learn was that I can't help everybody. It's not there's not enough of me and there's patients that I, I simply can't help. So for example, I have a binder rule. If a patient comes into my office and they have a binder, because know what a binder yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't treat them because these, <laughs> these are the patients that, you know, they, I've been to five different yeah. dentists. Yeah. She couldn't help me. He couldn't help me. She couldn't help me. He couldn't help me. And I used to think I was the savior. Fantastic. You came to the right person. I'm going to fix you. I'm better than all these other people. And I realized that it wasn't the other dentist's fault, right? This is oftentimes the patient mindset, the perfectionist. You know, they don't pay their bills. They don't show up on time. So I had to, unfortunately, learn that the hard way. I saw a, one time I saw a practice management speaker 
And they said 90% of your problems come from 10% of your patients. Absolutely. And so at my practice, we realized this and said, what if we just dismissed all those patients? If you come into my practice, you don't want to take x-rays? Sorry, you can't come, you can't come here anymore. If you come here and you're rude to my team members, you're not allowed in. If you consistently come late, I'm sorry, you can't come. Yeah. And it was funny how when you get rid of those people, the day is so much easier, mm -hmm. right? Because everybody sees these people on the schedule. They go, oh my gosh, Jennifer's coming in. Oh no. And they're <laughs> like, you know, she's always late. She's always rude. She never wants to pay her bills. She never does what you yeah. say, Dr. Stanley. Yeah. So the whole team is on edge and you get rid of these people and the day like goes by so yeah. quickly and yeah. so nice and so refreshing. And then the last tip that I would give, which is probably the most important, which is to separate your purpose in life from your profession. And it's funny how all of these tips that I'm giving you, I did wrong, <laughs> but I, I've learned them now. Mm -hmm. So um, separating your purpose from your profession, this is something that I see as a big problem in dentistry. You know, us dentists, we are so obsessed with dentistry. And I was definitely like this. We uh, go to school for, you know, 10 years, sometimes more, to, um, to become a dentist. Then we are just like measuring in tenths of a millimeter. And we, we get this identity that who we are as a dentist. And that's what's important in life. And that's okay in many professions, but in our profession where you're bound to fail, meaning an implant's gonna come out, um, you know, a crown's gonna fall off, the shade's gonna be wrong, the bite's not gonna be right, it happens. Our entire self-worth drops with that. So I used to think my, pur my purpose in life is to be the best dentist in the world. I wanted my tombstone to say, Dr. Kyle Stanley, best dentist in the world. And I had to realize that my purpose in life is to be a father, is to be a husband, is to be a neighbor, is to help others. I can love dentistry. I can be passionate about dentistry. I can be good at dentistry, but it, it's not who I am. It's what I do. And it's what I do for work. So if you separate yourself when these complications happen or when these difficult times in dentistry happen, your entire self-worth doesn't drop with that. And that is probably the most important advice that I could give, give anybody. That's so cool. That is really cool. Yeah, uh, thank you. And um, you were talking about m mindset and what about work-life balance? Because uh, for me, it's, uh, it's uh, 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 one of the major questions I get from colleagues. It's work, but how can I achieve work-life work -life balance? What, what's, what is your uh, advice on, on, on this? How, how can dentists live a more successful and more balanced life? If you yeah, believe in that, actually. <laughs> it's a difficult question. And, um, you know, I don't know if you're ever fully balanced, but a little bit of what I realized was once you find your purpose in life and you can say it out loud, like someone can come up to you on the street and say, Hey, what's your purpose? And you can say, Oh, 
my, for me, my purpose is to be a father, to be a husband, to be a neighbor and help others. Then a lot of things fall into place. You start saying no to things that don't follow your purpose, right? Or you start saying, you know, I can't treat that patient late because my son has basketball practice and I told him that I would be there. Yeah. So you start prioritizing things better. Another thing that I think I did wrong with uh, work-life balance is I tried to be both. I tried to ha- be work and home at the same time. Meaning, when I was at home, I was thinking about work, and as a work, I was thinking about home. And I've, I've seen some speakers talk before that had said, um, "Be wherever your feet are." And this is important to tell your family. Like when I'm at work, I'm at work. Unless it's an emergency, let me be at work. Because whenever you're flustered and trying to do both things at the same time, you can never truly be present and truly be at your highest level. And so those are some of the things that I found. Once I established my purpose in life, much easier to have work-life balance because I know what my priorities are. And also to be where your feet are. That would be my advice for that. But I don't know if we're ever fully balanced. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You because you get like you may feel some balance and then there's like a slippery slope. Dentistry mm-hmm. always tries to pull you back in. Yeah. It always tries to engulf your life again. Yeah. So you always have to like reestablish uh boundaries with with dentistry. And I, I mm-hmm. still do that. I mean, to this day, I'm I'm still doing that. Um, one of the interesting things that you said, and I, I don't know if you saw that uh, that recent Netflix movie Stuts from Jonah Hill talking with his shrink. Have you saw no, that? No, I don't think so. You have to see. Mm-hmm. I like Jonah Hill though. Yeah, you have to see it. It's it's, a, it's just a, this sweet documentary where he does he does a documentary about his shrink, Doctor Phil Stutz. It's really cool. You have to see that. You really have to see that. It came, we, we it came out in Portugal Netflix really recently, but. It, um, you were talking about something which, which is the diet, exercise, meditation, and sleep. And actually, one of the things in the movie, I don't want to spoil it, but he starts with that. He says that 80% is that. You should not even think about anything else unless you get this in order, like the diet, exercise, meditation, and sleep. Mm. Do you yeah, also one agree? more that we add in there, which is relationships. Relationships, yeah. Yeah, and that comes off of, there's a, a Harvard study that is one of the longest study in human behavior. And it, um, it studies generations of people starting back from the, I don't know if it's the 50s or the 60s. And they measure uh, people that live the longest and are the happiest. Yeah. And what they find is that if you don't take into account um, the relationships, smoking and drinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everything else doesn't matter. The people that live the longest and are the happiest are the people that have the closest relationships. With people. Yeah. Yeah. And I see this oftentimes happen with dentists is that dentistry takes over and their closest relationships, usually their marriages and their Uh, relationships with their parents and their siblings and their best friends go away. So yeah, that's another one that we added. Yeah. And you talked about your life purpose. I'm not going to ask you, how did you find that out? But I would, I would ask you some advice because I mean, it's, it's not, 
It's not a disaster if you reach your 40s or your 30s and you haven't thought about that, isn't it? That might happen, isn't it? And like you were saying, you, you may make this confusion that your life purpose is to be successful in your profession. Well, you can eventually adapt the profession to, to your own life purpose. But what advice would you, if someone feels a little bit lost in dentistry, I mean, they like dentistry, but they think there's something missing. They don't know exactly what is it their role, why are they here? Um, what would be your advice in that? Would, would it be isolation, meditation? Would it be to seek advice? What would you say about that? Yeah, I would say um, think of what you want your legacy to be. So I always think about my grandparents. My um, We always talk about my grandparents, and they've been passed on for, I mean, some have been gone for 20 years already. Yeah. And we always talk about them. We never mention their profession. You know, we never say, wow, Grandpa was such a great steel worker. No, we never mention that. <laughs> we say, like, remember how funny he was. Remember how he sat on the ground and played trains with us. And, you know, we, we went to his pool and he made uh, food outside. And he had those funny jokes and those weird toys in his house. And, like, his, his legacy is how he cared for other people. And so I would encourage people to think about how they want to be remembered. I don't think any of us are going to be on our deathbed and say, God, I wish, I wish I did better crown preps or I wish I did better surgery or smile design. You know, it sounds so silly when you say it like that, but there's so many dentists that dentistry is all they do and all they care about. And they suffer, I think, in the long term for that. So legacy is a real interesting thought. And that's, um, that's actually a, uh, a process that we go through with, with my participants in my courses is thinking about legacy, writing down what you want to be known for. We want to write down, you know, what you want on your tombstone is one of the, one of the um, exercises that we do. And what causes you care about? Because, you know, for me, I have a family, so it's easy for me to say, like, you know, I want to be a father and I want to be a husband. But we have a lot of younger dentists in my courses, and they're single, right? And so they oftentimes think of, like, what are the causes that I care about? Maybe I want to be known for supporting the homeless or, you know, feeding children or, you know, there's things like this. So I think legacy is the, is the important thing to think about in that exercise. Yeah. Now, changing a little bit subjects, how did AI came into your professional life? Was it accidental? Was it something that you were... Because, by the way, um, I, I, yesterday, Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm sure that you know Gary, Gary mm -hmm. V, he just posted something really interesting about this platform uh, that he says it was he, he was as excited as he was when the first saw Google and Facebook and he's a good predictor of stuff, you know. Yeah. And he, he was saying that there's this AI platform where you can actually talk to the platform and you, you just write a few sentences and you just can write the full article on any given subject. I mean, we are really on the virtue of uh, of something big that's going to happen. It's going to change. We don't know exactly how. So your approach to AI, was it accidental or was it, um, was it something that you were looking for? 
Yeah, it was accidental, which is which is interesting because a lot of what I travel around and speak about is technology driven, whether it's digital smile design, guided surgery. So I've always been really into technology. And it just happens that one of the patients at my practice owned a you know billion dollar AI company and he was looking to utilize or expand what they were doing into dentistry. And so he came and talked to me at a hygiene visit. And this was back in 2015. So back in 2015, 16, we started collecting data. We um, started exploring options. And it, we, we worked on it for a few years before we ended up spinning out the company into what is now known as Pearl. Mm-hmm. And it's been so crazy to see the progression I think when, when I told people I was working on AI back in 2015 and 16, they're like, what? they <laughs> didn't even know what crazy. I was talking about. Like, yeah. what is this? You're crazy. And now, especially in 2022, all of a sudden everyone's like, yes, AI is here. AI is going to be our future. And, you know, I need to start looking at it. So it's really expanded quickly. And it's been a joy of mine to be able to be part of this revolution. <laughs> And um, uh, coming back to, to, the, to the mindset of, of your work, I, I'm sure you also work quite long hours with Pearl, isn't it? I mean, it's a different set of work. There's the fact that, um, there's the fact that you are in a company that does not have to deal directly in such, an, in a such intimate way with all the, 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 the issues that it is to deal with patients. Is that less stressful for you? Is it a different kind of stress? How do you see that? Yeah, it's interesting. People ask me this all the time. Um, you know, are you as stressed working with AI and whatnot? And the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I think once any dentist does anything other than clinical dentistry, yeah. they realize how freaking hard clinical dentistry it is. It is, and everything else is, is a pleasure. My hardest day working at Pearl and talking with engineers and dealing with customers and, you know, developing AI, my hardest day is like my easiest day at dentistry. Yeah. There's something that is so special about dentistry. Yes. It is. It's so physical. It's so emotional. It's, um, I don't know. You have, to, you, have, you have to be a gladiator. We usually say here in the yeah. podcast that dentistry is one of the highest performance professions out there. And dentists, they don't value themselves for that. And they, like you were saying, if you get into the game of being like and doing what the patient wants, so which is what the hairdresser does, not what the doctor does, right? And there's nothing right. against hairdressers, which is perfectly fine. But if you mm-hmm. play the hairdresser game, you will eventually fall into issues because so that you go to the hairdresser and the guy says, okay, I want you to paint my, my, uh, my hair in blue. So you do it. It's fine. And if something is wrong in a few months, the, 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 the hair goes back again. Right. If you go to dentist with that, with that mindset and it's very easy, like, because like you're saying, when you are young, you want, you want to please the patient. That's number one. And I think, and I would like to hear your opinion that, on that as well, which is social media is, pushing the hairdresser style in dentistry. 
Don't you think about that? And don't you think yeah. that is dangerous for young dentists? Yeah, I, I, com I completely agree. I think that we need to retain our autonomy as doctors. And the this um, this marathon feeling that I think all of us have at the end of the day, like we ran a marathon. I thought about this a lot, and we teach this in LightSide, is that you know, there's been some studies that show that as we give injections, our blood pressure goes up 20% sometimes. <laughs> I, we've, we, talk, we know the patient's blood pressure can go up, right? No one talks about us. How does it affect us? And so you have our blood pressure going up, and then we give another injection, it goes up, it goes another direction, it goes up. Think of what percentage of the day do you have high blood pressure? You may be very healthy. You may exercise. You may eat right. You may still have high blood pressure 50% of the day because of how many injections you give. And so we're constantly in this fight or flight feeling, which is why we come home and we're so physically tired. And this is why non-dentists don't understand our, us being tired, right? I remember I would come home from a long day and I would, you know, meet my friends for, for dinner or whatnot. And they'd be, how are you? And I said, God, I'm, so, I'm just so exhausted. And they're like, Kyle, all you do is this all day. And I'm like, you don't get it. You don't understand. I'm running a marathon, uh, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically with my back and my neck. And then what, what happens is we get home and, you know, if we have a spouse or if we have kids or if we have friends or whoever, we don't have anything left to give. And then our relationships suffer which causes us even more stress. So it's this really difficult circle that, um, you know, I've, I've been able to see now that I've kind of backed up and looked at my own life and been able to talk to, you know, hundreds of doctors from around the world. I see it happen again and again and again, and only dentists understand that. Yeah, and, and, and you need to have some sort of experience and do mistakes and go through that to be able to to realize all that and and, and i think that it can we come to a point that that look damn it either the patient respects us i'm going to have much more of a doctor of a physician attitude they either respect me or i'd rather not treat them yeah yeah but that's you, right um kyle i just wanted to ask you one last question um about how do you see the future of dentistry? I mean, not only in technology and artificial artificial intelligence, but also how do you see the future of the, of dentistry in an emotional way? Also, how the evolution of, of clinics, of big clinics, small clinics. How do, how do you see the 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 future of dentistry? Because I usually say that we are on the edge of a, <laughs> a revolution. Here, we are going back to this uh, patient centered dentistry, to the human connection. Um, but uh, I don't I don't know if uh, it's because I, 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 I uh, Andres sometimes says to me, it's, it's because the dentists that you talk to are already starting to do that <laughs> right. work. You and you are in like right. a, just talking to those uh, colleagues. I don't know what is your opinion, but <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you see the future of dentistry? Yeah, so there's a few different um, aspects that I'll talk about it. So the first and, and, aspect is... And sorry, sorry, Carl, just, yep. just one thing to add, because this is just like the last question. Sorry to add this one. Can you also give us some examples of how you think AI can actually really have an impact on dentistry? Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is I think the two big futures of dentistry are AI and airway. 
So we'll talk about AI first. I think with AI, we're going to get to more standardized treatment. We're going to be able to build more trust with our patients because we have a, a third-party, non-biased system that can agree with us. And I love that from a mental health aspect, building trust with patients immediately on the first step and saying, you know, I don't just think you have caries, but this third-party system thinks you have caries because we have financially driven diagnosis, meaning the more I find, the more money I make. And the patients know that. So anytime you can separate yourself a little bit from that diagnosis, even though it's still you agreeing with it and making the final decision, I think that will, that will really help us. I also think that it's going to help us find um, the mouth-body connection even more. It will bring us back into the body. You know, 100 years ago, we set the mouth separated from the body. I think this will bring us back because we're going to be able to find that big data trends that, you know, 42-year-old patients that have two to five caries and one crown are more likely to have breast cancer or whatever it is. And those big revolutions are going to make the medical community say, oh shit, this dentistry stuff really impacts the rest of the body. So I'm really excited about what AI is doing. And of course, you know, I, I'm biased in some ways because I have invested interest. The other big revolution and future of dentistry, in my opinion, is airway. And I think a lot of that has to do with early airway treatment of children. And I've become really into this. Actually, once I looked into my sleep for my mental health, uh, I have Invisalign right now. I'm getting orthognathic surgery done in a few months. All right. My son <laughs> and my, my wife are going through myofunctional therapy and my son is getting his jaw expanded and the whole thing. But I really think that the future of dentistry is more preventative, doing more things as children so that we can prevent more problems in the future, growing jaws so that we don't have the airway issues, so we don't have the bite issues, so we don't have the um, periodontal disease or um, uh, you know apnea and whatnot. I think yeah. that is the other big future of dentistry. Now, on the other side, when Manuela is talking about large clinics and this and that, I think we're going to get to a point where, unfortunately, the middle class will have a hard time getting dentistry. And this is why. We have these um, you know, high-end clinics like mine, right? Expensive, time-consuming, good quality, uh, but not everybody can afford that. Or even not everybody wants that even. And we have middle class clinics that you know are kind of good for the average person and they're they're affordable and the work is pretty good. And then you have more lower clinics that are um, lower price, faster, you know, maybe less quality. And I think what's happening with the larger clinics is you get rid of the middle, unfortunately. So you get to this point where you have really extreme high end, you know, great treatment, but not everybody can afford that. And then you have affordable, but bad customer service. And, you know, just kind of being seen as an, as an animal going through this. And I think that's going to be a negative for dentistry. I think it's going to be hard for the average person to get good dentistry at an affordable price. Um, what was the other thing that I was going to say? No, that, that was very interesting that you talk about Terry. We, I am, as a prosthodontist, I'm, I'm really um, 
really paying attention to the Sphere and Seattle Club and, and the Seattle Protocol oh, and yeah. stuff like that. They're Fantastic. Just, they're just amazing stuff coming in. By the way, I did orthognathic surgery for sleep apnea as well. I was 40 oh, at the time. So you're like, get ready for I'll a change. I'll be 40 change. when I do mine too. Get ready for a huge change. You'll probably make oh, the maxilla, advancing only the maxilla in your case, right? Uh, both. Both, actually, oh, yeah. But you have quite a good Advancing chin. Both. Well, but anyway, yeah. your life will improve dramatically, trust me. Oh, great to hear. That's the last great. thing I was going to say with the future of dentistry is I've seen a big downfall in dental education at universities. And unfortunately, I'm seeing a big mass exodus of fantastic clinicians from universities. Yeah. And I don't know when this will be, maybe it's 50 years or maybe more, but I think we may even go back to an apprentice style of learning Yeah. because I think these, these universities are getting out of hand and the quality yeah. isn't great. They're losing the best professors because they're yeah. not appreciating them. And so I think we may, you know, again, this may take 50 years or a hundred years. I don't know. But we may go back to this apprentice style of teaching, which I don't think is actually bad. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the biggest issues that you have here in Europe regarding education is that, I mean, uh, we are not exposed that much to the Banky, Seattle, Spear, Coist mm -hmm. planning stuff, which is, in my opinion, the basis of dentistry, like incisal ledge, lip, and stuff like that. That's one of the biggest flaws yep. that we have here in Europe. So, Kylie, uh, thank you so much for for spending your precious time with us. It was really cool to have you. And I, I really enjoyed your views, and I, 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 I completely agree with you on that. And if, if you have a chance, if you watch some of our past episodes, you'll see that we converge in a lot of stuff. That's very interesting. That's so interesting. I mean, there's so many things that, that dentists can do to help themselves. Sometimes just like a, a little tweak in terms of communication, yes. organization of practices and stuff like that, Mindset that also. can really make a big difference. Yeah. Thank That's right. You. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the more that I have mentored doctors from around the world, I realize that we're all the same. Exactly. Whether we're in Absolutely. Portugal, exactly. whether we're in the US or we're in Australia yeah. or Brazil or Russia or anywhere, you know, we go through the same things. Yeah. And so it's great to hear that you guys have... Um, you know, are talking about this and helping yeah. spread the word because I always love to hear other doctors that are that are helping our profession because we really need it. And I can't do it on my own. So Manuela and, and thank you. really, really thank you, thank for, you for helping me spread the word and for the kind invitation. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope to see you maybe 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 next year to see how you're doing with your with your sleep apnea and to just give us some more updates on on uh, on the and and don't worry, you'll see it's scary. It is scary. I mean, it's not like an easy surgery. I mean, someone's going to knock right. off your complete face. But yes. trust me, everything is going to be all right. It's great to hear. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you, all right, guys. Kyle. Talk and you thank later. you uh, to everyone listening to us. Bye-bye. Thank you.